Hello, and welcome back, after a short summer break, to another episode of A Mic on the Podium with me, Michael Seal. Today, I'll be conducting a conversation with the first Brazilian conductor to appear on the podcast. After studying in Zurich, he returned to his homeland to become resident conductor of the Teatro Sao Paulo for two years, and is now enjoying a flourishing international career as a guest conductor. It is a great pleasure to welcome Eduardo Strausser. Eduardo, how lovely to meet you, to see you and to chat with you. How are you today? I'm good, thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here talking to you. And me to you. Um, you've just said you've just moved into a new place. Um, I read online that you live in Berlin, is that right? That's correct. I've been living in Berlin for the past five years. Yeah, Wonderful musical city to live in. Um, but I know you're not from Berlin. Uh, what I do know is that you're Brazilian, but I have no idea where in Brazil you were born, whether you come from a musical family, and even, dear listeners who know that I do my homework on Wikipedia, I don't even know what instruments you played. So let's find out. Let's mm -hmm. go back to Brazil and the start of your life and find out if music was always going to be something that you did. Right. I tried to fly under the radar. That's why you didn't find it. I like it. I like it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. But I was born in Brazil, in yeah. Sao Paulo, which is the biggest city in Brazil. I mean, the biggest city in the, in the South Hemisphere. Yes. Yeah. Two million people. And I don't come from a musical family, although music was always very important and present at home. Yeah. You know, my family... I, I am the first generation born in Brazil. My family came from Europe. Yeah. Um, you know, there's my parents are first generation of Holocaust survivors. Okay. You know? So yeah. that's why, I mean, some part of the family moved to Palestine after the war and then ended up in Bolivia first. Mm. Family of my father in Brazil, Brazil, and then the family of my mom in very late, only in my mom moved to brazil in 1970 and yeah mm. and that's how i i came to be born in brazil with this very not brazilian family name <laughs> well i was going to ask where strauss i came from but i mean brazil is really is a country full of a mixture of all sorts yes. i mean obviously they're in indigenous but uh, but you know you do you do hear all sorts of surnames, much like Argentina. I mean, obviously, Argentina is a lot of Italian and Spanish immigrants. That's right. Well over 90%. But, you know, with Brazilian names, I, I wasn't surprised when I found out you were Brazilian <laughs> with, with a name like Strausser. But, yeah, it's a, it's very interesting backstory. Yeah. It's, a country, it's a country of indigenous people, of course, but a lot of immigrants. We're yeah. all immigrants. I remember in school, I, I mean, nobody had a grand a grandpa parent who was born in brazil no, no. <laughs> and we all had these very strange family names <laughs> yes <laughs> and so um which instrument was your first that you... i started i started with the violin yeah because as i said my 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 parents were chemists working in the pharmaceutical yeah. <laughs> field but yeah, I grew up with a lot of music and I was lucky enough to attend a concert when I was a kid. And, and then I said to my parents, I want to learn an instrument and they took it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then everything was decided. So I started with the violin, but then it was not, not for long because 
in the conservatoire, the, um, I mean, I was having class in this room and uh, with the violin teacher and the room besides it was the viola teacher. Ah. Yeah. And, and my mom was taking me to the conservatoire and I was getting there earlier than my, my class. And I used to hear the viola, the viola class. And I remember there was a girl playing the arpeggione sonata. And I told my teacher, I want to play this, this music too. Mm. And it was a shock for me when he said, but this is not for your instrument. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this, and this was one of the decisions. And then I decided to study the viola. And then I kept with the viola for, for the rest of my studies. And of course, I, I was very interested in playing the piano too, because they, it was nice. And I did all my studies in viola. I did the bachelor in viola. And then I, yeah, something happened that I decided to try to study conducting. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'm assuming that during your time growing up with the viola that you would have played in youth orchestras. I mean, I That's don't know, right. but I'm assuming Sao Paulo would have uh, a youth orchestra. And that yeah. would be where you first encountered conducting or conductors. Um, yeah, right. was that was that an inspiration for you or was that just something you know as a child you just got on with playing the viola in the orchestra and and only later you decided well actually this is quite an interesting thing you know it's maybe it's nice to talk a little bit of of the context of the musical scene in brazil back absolutely then, yeah know? yeah because brazil was always a very musical country of course for popular music we all know about that but also for classical music there were always very, very good players, you know? Mm. For example, Nelson Freire, the pianist who passed away uh, yes. not long ago. And they had many, many, many good, good soloists and, and conductors, but somehow they had to go away. Yeah. You know, to, to, they started in Brazil, but then also to, to get some work, they had to go away. Uh, just to say that there was always something about classical music in Brazil, but we don't have the tradition. We mm. never have, and we'll never have. <laughs> we have to, to, to play the game that we can do. Yeah, yeah. But something very interesting happened, and the, the, the Berlin Wall went down, and the Soviet Union collapsed, and then many, many, many fantastic musicians from all these ex-Soviet countries, republics, moved to Brazil. Huh. And then suddenly we had in our orchestras many, many players from Eastern Europe and fantastic players. Mm, mm. Nowadays, they're all married to Brazilians and have Brazilian <laughs> children. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it was really important because they were not only playing in the orchestras there, but they were also teaching. Yes, yes. And I was fortunate enough to be, you know, in that moment, starting my, my studies. And I was always very lucky to have very, very good teachers. I think this is the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. And especially coming from a family that had no, nothing to do whatsoever with music, to have a very good teacher was pure luck. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's very interesting because if you... You know, I'm I'm a lot older than you. Uh, I don't know when you were born, but I'm a lot older than you. I you know I don't remember 
you know, I, I, I've been to Brazil twice, uh, once right. as a child when I was 16 on a youth orchestra tour and once with the CBSO in 1997. And, and then you, you sort of felt like you were taking this music to Brazil and we were greatly appreciated. But as you said, it always felt like the, the Brazilians, for anybody to have a career, would have to leave, to go yeah. to Europe, to go to the New World, to go to America, whatever else. But over the last 10, 10 years or so, you know, you you then hear of all of a sudden people like Marin Olsop taking the position with OSESP um, yeah. in Sao Paulo and, and names now going the, in the other direction, which That's means right. that the orchestra standard must have risen for the people like that to suddenly think, do you know what? I actually want to be music director here. I'm not just coming for a holiday for three weeks yeah. a year or six weeks a year yeah. or whatever. I really, there's something here I can work with. And that sounds like, well, it, it must have been the catalyst that made these orchestras lift. Um, exactly. And, and for want for want of the, you know, the musicians from the rest of the world to come to you rather than the other way around. That's right. And yeah. there was also something also very important that was the advent of a new music hall in Sao Paulo. Yes. The new music hall was built in 1996. So it was everything in that period. Yeah. And, and this music hall is fantastic. It's in a train station that still works as a train station, but you, can, you can't hear anything. I mean, the experience is fantastic to attend a concert. And once you leave the concert, you can hear the trains arriving in the yeah. station. It's really fantastic. So it was a mix of these fantastic musicians from Eastern Europe coming to Brazil. The advent of this new music hall, and then suddenly, boom, the magic happened. Yeah, uh, yeah. In '97, we didn't play there. We played in the old one. Ah, um, uh, right. Or in the Opera House, maybe. No, no, it was definitely the old concert hall, which was a, uh, you know, uh, how do I put this delicately? Um, you don't there was need some, to put it no, <laughs> there were some very interesting buildings next door. Um, uh, right. with, yeah, which you know the police move people on from during a concert, and then afterwards, right. you know, the, uh, um, <laughs> some of the world's more undesirable characters would reappear again. I'm sure you know the concert well. I'm talking of. Of course, uh, so Paul yeah. is a city full of temptations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very well put. <laughs> I have to say, one of them being Caipirina, and I've fallen foul of that that liquid twice in my life. And right. the, the second time was in Sao Paulo I've never had a hangover like it um but oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah well we're talking about uh conducting as we were let's go back to that otherwise we could talk for hours about you know, right. temptations in Brazil um <laughs> as I said conducting uh did you before you left because you eventually ended up doing the the, the trip yeah. to Europe to go to Zurich exactly. the University of Arts did you start conducting before you left there? And if so, who did you start conducting with? Who was your no, teacher? I was, I was, I was um, not really, I had, you know, you asked me, but I was playing in youth orchestras and yeah, I, but for me, the, 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 the role of the conductor was not so clear. Yeah. I was too young and, you know, I had just fun playing in the orchestra and that was the thing. I didn't, didn't to be honest, I didn't care so much. Mm. But then I remember there's a festival in Brazil that was created a long time ago in, in the modes of the Tanglewood Festival, you know, in, the, in, in a city in the mountains, uh, in the it's winter. Not, it, it, oh, yeah, I was going to say it's not the one in Campos de Jordão. That's it, yes. That's exactly it, yes. I went there I when I was a 16-year-old. Um, oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in that year... Uh, Kurt Mazur was there, oh. 
and he was giving a master class of conducting. And I was playing in the orchestra. I was not <laughs> a part of the master class. And that was the first time that I, I realized how much influence this guy or this girl, yeah. back then it was just guys, uh, could have in the orchestra. And I was so naive that I thought to myself, I don't know why they they have so much trouble doing it. It looks so easy. Little did I know. Little did I know. But that was the first spark. Spark, sparkle. Obviously, yeah. it's first spark. Yeah. And then, but but still, I didn't think about conducting myself. But then, in the university, while I was studying. The, um, the instrument, I, I attended some conducting classes and I, I, was, I was becoming fascinated mm. with, with this. And then comes the turning point okay. <laughs> because uh, it was exactly the same situation, a master class in the University of Sao Paulo. And the, the professor, the uh, guest professor was... A, a Swiss professor called Johannes Schleifli. Yes. Yes. And then I, I saw this guy working with this, the students. I was not conducting. And I thought to myself, I want to study with this man. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> it doesn't matter what, <laughs> but I want to study with this man. Yeah. And then again, I was very naive. I, was, I, I came to him and I said, yeah. I presented my, introduced myself, and I said, "Yeah, I know you. You teach in Zurich. I, I want to study there with you." Yeah, yeah. And then he gave me in Portuguese. There is an expression. He said he gave a a, a cold bath, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in the way that said it's very hard to get to Zurich. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I just, <laughs> and he said that the audition is really hard, and I get like hundreds of applicants every year and I just can get two maybe three students it's it's really hard but if you if you want to try it seriously here's yeah. what you have to study to prepare and not only that he was he was from the beginning a man as yeah. they say in English. he was he was supporting me and he said you have to do these 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 you know he gave me the yeah, the tips, what I had to, to focus. And then I studied for two years <laughs> and I did the audition and I was admitted. Yeah. And yeah. as I said, I, I was very lucky to have, since the beginning, fantastic teachers. And in, in the conducting field, it's the same. Can you imagine? He was my very first and only only teacher mm, mm. and of course afterwards I did some master classes and workshops and so on but like a teacher a regular teacher I just had Johannes Schleffli. Mm. Well he's a, I mean he's a great teacher I mean I know uh, I'm sure I've interviewed at least one I think Karim Hassan was taught by uh, yeah. Johannes Schleffli. Um, there may be one other during the previous hundred or so episodes of course, the big name that I know from Birmingham is Mirga Grajanita Tila. She she studied with him. Mirga did the, the, the examination entrance with me. Oh, we with you? Were, 
yeah. We were yeah. we were the two accepted. Yeah, the two what? admitted. Uh, so we I studied together with me with Mirga. Yeah, she was my, she was my younger sister. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's funny when I wrote down, as my listeners know, I have this notebook to my left, and I use it all the time through the interview to sort of guide guide the path of the interview. But this morning, when I wrote down wrote down the Zurich University of Arts, I put in brackets Schleffli question mark as if you know because uh, you know his name, as I said, doesn't appear. Um, but a wonderful teacher, and to have him from the start. Uh, what What's interesting is you you do list or it is listed in your biographies three other names that you had masterclasses with and I wonder whether you can focus in on you know if you've got a basis level uh it's much the same as instrumentally if you're taught by your viola teacher for four or five years you know your technique that he's taught you and you know some of the musical ideas that they've taught you and then you go and play to somebody else and somebody else gives you another idea which completely turns things on its head or makes you really think about what you're doing was there anything from Bernard Heitink, David Zimmern, or Kurt Mazur, the three people that you list having masterclasses with, that turned what Johannes Schleffri had said on its head, or even just sort of helped you think, do you know what, I'm with the right guy, uh, I'm going in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, with Kurt Mazur, I was very, in the very beginning, yeah. I was in the very beginning, so it, it didn't change much, and I, I'm not even, I don't even bring much luggage from yeah. this from this i remember the experience was great you know yes. to be there with this old guy he was already old and and by old i mean experience and yes, I, with, yes. uh, with a lot of respect please don't mm. get me wrong it was really nice but then you know with Heiting and Zinman, it was very different because we had a relationship with both of them in Zurich. Yeah. Because Zinman was the chief conductor of the Tonhalle and Heiting was living in Luzern. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so what happened is that I mean we can talk about the, the, the how the, the the course, the conducting course in Zurich is, but just can you imagine we had every semester one week with each one of these two wow. giants with an orchestra. Yeah, wow. You know, working with them. And just for us, for, for, for the students, we were not so many. And so it was, and Johannes was always there. You know, yeah, it was yeah. different from, you know, attending a masterclass somewhere. So, you know, Johannes was, was should I say Mr. Schlefflin or Johannes, it's fine. No, no? it's Johannes. <laughs> you, you, it's Johannes if, yeah. if you met him in the street, you'd probably say, hi, Johannes. You know, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. it's, much, it's much the same. You know, if uh, if I was walking around Birmingham and I bumped into Sir Simon Rettle, I wouldn't say hi, Sir Simon. I'd say, hi, Simon, how are you? You know, <laughs> yes. we know each other, so it's fine. Yeah. Right. And yeah, so that's that was the situation. So, you know, we were there. I can, I can still uh, leave this experience of being in the podium in front of the orchestra and looking to my left and seeing Heiting and Johannes sitting one next to the other. And, you know, and it was always complimentary. And what yeah. was really, really nice is that, you know, after after the sessions with the orchestra, we always had a session, you know, to talk about the experience with Heiting or with yeah. Zimmer. But then we had another session 
just with Johannes. And yeah. we were sharing the experience that we had with Johannes. And then it was really nice because this is the fantastic thing about Johannes. He can tailor uh, uh, the, the thing for each student. If you see all of us, we are all completely different. Yes. Completely different. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I remember he was saying, do you remember when Haiting told you this? I think that what, what, he, what he means, what he meant is that when you do this, or if you want this result with the orchestra, you might go in this direction. You know, always yeah. trying to, to add. Mm -hmm. Johannes is a, a guy who adds, who, who is, uh, I mean. Yeah, I uh, it, it's funny, having seen a couple of, two or three or four of his stu students conducting either on video or live, no, there is no, there is nothing you can hang a, hang a coat on like a you know no. hang a hat on a peg whereas if you look at a, pan, a panel of students i think there are a couple of body things that i could spot and go ah you've studied with panel yes. or the older school moosin with some of the, the way that they beat and use the circles and there are That's some right. things with those you think oh, you've been to moosin whereas with a schleffley student i know it's not particularly true you know he obviously takes whatever you do and then runs with it in whichever direction you want to run with it exactly you know? Yeah. You know, because I remember most of most of the time he was when he was interrupting us in front of the orchestra, he was always asking, what do you want? Yes. What, what's the sound that you want? What's the phrase that you want? And then, you know, he was making us think and then he was not saying, then do like this. He was saying, yeah. Do it again and get what you want. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it it worked as as magic. I mean, because there was a lot of psychology involved, and it's it's hard to explain how how he teaches because if, if you ask different students, I'm sure they are going to have different opinions or different views. Because mm. as I said, he tailors his classes to each student and and this is this is this is great i don't I think, even remember what we were what was <laughs> what we were talking about <laughs> right that's fine uh, that's where he you know in my experience talking to over 100 conductors now on this podcast this is where uh, Johannes Schleffli and Jorma Panela have a similarity in the fact that many of the panel students have said, I don't even remember him saying very much. I don't even remember him saying anything specifically, right. but he seemed to get his point across somehow. And I think during my experience of, of being taught by him for a couple of weeks intensively, I think also if you're in that class situation and you're a re you really are already massively bitten by this bug of yes. conducting, you're not only listening to what he says to you, but you're listening to what he says to the other students. And sometimes that makes you think hard and think, well, actually, that's a really good piece of advice. Maybe I can use that, even if it's not spoken to you. I remember certain things panelists said to other students and me thinking, oh, wow, I ought to do that. Or, wow, I agree, that's terrible. Or whatever it would be, <laughs> you know. Um, and I think that's the, the skill is that they maybe don't say so much directly to you, but they say it. They say little things to, uh, right. as they go through and you pick them up. Yeah, but you know, there was another thing that was really nice. And that was that we were having, the, the structure was, we were having in the morning, just just chatting, analyzing and, and talking about the, the piece that we're going to conduct in the afternoon. Because imagine Zurich, I mean, Zurich is fantastic not only because of Johannes, it's because they have a lot of money. 
And mm -hmm. then they create a huge uh, uh, infrastructure for the students. So we had an, um, a small ensemble every week. And then four times in the semester, we were going to either Eastern Europe, Czech Republic, Bulgaria, or even Germany, um, mm -hmm. in Switzerland, of course, to work with professional orchestras for one week and conduct a concert at the end. Can you imagine? This is that's, really, that's brilliant. Really, yeah. really something. And so we were always preparing the repertoire in the morning and then conducting the ensemble in the afternoon. And then we had, and every session was recorded, yeah. video recorded. And then the next day we had individual lessons with him where we would watch the videos and he would make comments and, and so but then, and this is the nice thing, the class would gather again, everybody, and we would make comments on our, our colleagues, you know. Oh, that's wonderful. And this, this is, in the beginning, can be very frustrating and irritating, but it's also <laughs> good for the ego, you know. Yeah, because yeah. You learn yeah. how to, to, to hear criticism. Yeah, yeah. And you also learn how to vocalize criticism towards your one of your colleagues in a way that you know maybe can be put in a supportive way it's That's not right. just totally negative you know you can't you know that was shit that was awful yeah. you know you, you you have to learn to 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 be a, a politician you have to of learn course. the psychology of how you speak which is what we do it's part of exactly. our job you know Most you have to them. turn around to a player sometimes and, uh, knowing that what you've just heard is not what you want and find a way of of, of enthusing them, inspiring them, cajoling them to, right. to play it the way you want to do. What's also interesting about that system is, and we're going to come to guesting quite soon, um, the guest conducting, is that you're learning to guest conduct whilst you're a student. You're not just conducting okay. the same orchestra all the time, which then becomes like an old jacket uh, or an old you know leather jacket that you wear all of the time you're having to go to orchestras in you as you said in all of those places and four times a year you're learning to guest conduct you know when you put that baton down and you don't know what's going to come back whereas yeah. in you know back in zurich you put the baton down you know what's going to come back because it's an orchestra that you know you work with yeah. regularly um, that's right. absolutely right The next important, well, there's a there's actually one other thing because I suspect it was around the time before we go back home and we, before we go back to being resident conductor in Sao Paulo at the Teatro Sao Paulo, you you appear in in a couple of projects to do with new music and I wonder how important oh, new right. music is to you. You know, you you studied in Curtin with uh, Stockhausen and then yes. Darmstadt with Kurtag and Fernie Ho. That's what, right. What what things did you learn from them? Uh, which you take into conducting and how important to you is conducting new music because I've spoken to somebody well, I've spoken to Kwame Ryan who basically broke into the conducting world through meeting Peter Erdvers and only yeah. doing new music yes. how important was it it was really important for me because you know that my interest started with electronic music electroacoustic music yeah and and I was I <laughs> I I was um kidnapped for the Stockhausen coat <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it was a coat it was yeah. really a coat and with a lot of brainwash I have to say okay. yeah. 
because this this was this was the um, you know Stockhausen was isolated in the end of his life. You have yes. to admit that you know he was in Kirchen, which is close to Cologne, where he worked a lot uh, a, a big period of his life. And my interest for Stockhausen started because I had a, a teacher in Sao Paulo called Flo Menezes, who's a composer. He was com the composing teacher at the university. And he was an assistant of Stockhausen for a while, while yeah. he was uh, working in Germany. And that's how I, I came to know Stockhausen. And that was also by uh, his recommendation that I went to, to Kirten to study with Stockhausen. Because he had these summer courses that he was given in Kirten, which was two weeks. But because of this recommendation, I spent almost the whole summer there with him. And, you know, it was amazing because we were analyzing his music and there were concerts with his music played. It was only about him, of course. Yes, yes. The code, yeah. yeah. But the thing is that through this teacher in, in Sao Paulo, I realized that actually what they were doing there in the 50s and 60s was just a, a continuation, do you say like this? Of, yes. Of, of the German music, of the development of German music. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you hear the first electronic pieces in Stockhausen, Gesang der Jüngling, for example, the chant of the, the Jungsters, I don't know how to say it in English. It's 1956. This is, this is, uh, it's, it's one step after Erwartung from Schoenberg or yeah. two steps after the, the, the Adagio from the 10th Symphony of Mahler. Yes, yes. It's still in this, and this was for me very, very fascinating. And that's why I, I was diving in, into this world. And then, of course, once I was bitten by the bug, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I started to, to try to discover as much as I could. The point is that even when we talk about new music, if we think about that, it's not so much new music anymore. No. No. I mean, they are almost 60 years old. And, yeah, exactly, you know, and yeah. These, yeah. And these people are all dead, you know, yes. Stockhausen, Boulez, Schaeffer, and all of, all of them. Anyway, what I, what, coming back to your question, getting to know this kind of repertoire just made my view of the, so to say, traditional repertoire, I, I, it just became broader. Yes. So when I, I think that because I went through many pieces of Stockhausen and Boulez afterwards, I, I started to see a Brahms symphony in a different way, mm -hmm. you know, not only in, in a formal way, but also the question of phrasings and, and, and the musical tempo, the mm. time of music, you know, because the, the, the musical time or the tempo, I, there's not a better word, the tempo. Mm. It, it develops in a different way in electronic music, but there's a connection to, to orchestral music. Yeah. So I think that that's, that's what I, I, I gained mm. uh, from being in contact with new music especially electronic music and, and, and the very first electronic music, you know, Pierre-Henri, Pierre Schaeffer, these guys from, from, from Stockhausen, of course. So that's the influence that they made on me. And I think, you know, the, as I, I was saying, this is old music now. When I was in Zurich in, uh, in 2013, it was the 100, 100 
uh, anniversary of the Rite of the Spring. Mm. And they play the Rite of Spring in Zurich with period instruments. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that nice to think that, you know, you can play the Rite of Spring with period instruments because it's very far away. It's, I mean, yeah. it's very far away in, in, the relative, in, in relation to what we live nowadays. But, but still, I mean, massively different. Yeah. Yes, massively different. And as you say, you know, we, I, you know, it's called new music because you know, it, compared to as you say, if you put it on next next to a CD of Brahms' Fourth Symphony, the yeah. world it's a completely different world. But there's that thing about six degrees of separation. Well, it's it's less than six degrees of separation away. It's much yeah. less. You yeah. know, yeah. once once, um, I don't think um, who told me that. Ah, Bavouzi, Jean-Éphelin Bavouzi. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, I did a concert with him and he told me something really nice. He said, mm. in order to understand the six degrees, he said, when Cosima, no, when Constance Mozart, mm. when Constance Mozart died, Cosima Wagner, Cosima Liszt, was yes. six years old. When Cosima Liszt died, Pierre Boulez was six years old. <laughs> wow. This is yeah. mind-blowing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, and then Boulez is, you know, exactly. <laughs> I mean, uh, who, who was six years old? We haven't even discovered them yet. No. When, when Boulez died. Exactly yeah. that. I mean, that's, that's staggering. You just mentioned 2013. Um, right. The next thing that comes on your biography is 14 to 16, we find you back home in uh, Sao Paulo, at the Teatro Sao Paulo, okay. as the resident conductor. So was the plan always to go back home, or did, uh, was that just one of life's weird weird happenings? Yeah, it was, it was pure luck. Or, oh, I mean, it depends on how you see it. Um, it was not, not programmed. Actually, when I moved to Switzerland, I thought I would never go back to Brazil again, to leave in Brazil again. Yeah. You know, because I didn't, as, as we were talking in the beginning, I was, maybe because of naivety, but I was, I was, I didn't have big expectations. Mm. Big, uh, you know, and, and this is good. I was, I was a guy, especially when I arrived in Switzerland, you know, because I was a guy from Brazil. They used to see me in a, in, you know, in, in a different way. I was, uh, yeah. Because I was, I was very different from the other conducting students, yes. you know. I was just another spoiled boy from South America. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, for me, it was something, everything was new to be yeah. living in, in Switzerland. Can you imagine? You, you, you mentioned you've been in Sao Paulo and that area. Mm. Can you imagine going from there to Zurich? It was, it was a different world. Yes. And, you know, from the beginning, I knew that anything that happened and anything that I got would be really nice you know so there were no pressure no expectations but i thought that i would not i was not going back to brazil you know you have to see in zurich there were very very many talented people yes as i was saying the the the, the entrance examination is really hard really hard 200 plus applications and they take two three yeah. i mean in my year it was mirga and i Mm. and Fergus of three we were three so you know for me everything was <laughs> everything else was just fine yes 
And then, you see, that's things of life. So, and then it was, I was a student during my studies and I got a phone call from the Opera House in Sao Paulo, yeah. which had a new, a new um, a music director and they were changing the whole structure of, of the Opera House. And they asked me if I could go to Brazil to um, assist in a, in a production of Aida. Mm. It, that was it. And it was in July, which was perfect because it was, you know, in Brazil, the, the season goes from February to November because, yeah. you know, it's the opposite. Yes. Yeah. So July was perfect because I had vacations in Zurich. So I said, oh, yeah, I go. And then yeah. I had to learn in, in two months, Aida. <laughs> <laughs> and I was very lucky because back then in Zurich, there was a fantastic opera conductor, an Italian guy, um, an Italian gentleman called Nello Santi. Mm. who was a big, big name and he was already old and he was the responsible for the Italian repertoire in Zurich. He was the king of the Zurich Opera House. And I came to him and said, I, I need to learn Aida. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, come and we'll, and then, okay. And then I learned and then I went to Sao Paulo and it was really nice, a very nice experience. And then they asked me if I would like to go and work as resident conductor. And I said, I really appreciate the invitation, but I still have one year in Zurich yes. and yeah. I will not leave Zurich before I finish. Yeah. yeah. And then they said, okay, so then finish Zurich and come. Brilliant. And I said, yes. Mm. You know, wonderful. in the beginning, it was, I was not so sure about it because for me, you know, to, to go back to Brazil was somehow given a step back. But then Johannes, in his wisdom, he said, Eduardo, sometimes you have to give a step back to give a jump forward. <laughs> mm. And yeah. he was right. And he was right because I finished my studies in June 14. And then July, I, I moved back to Brazil. And in August, I was assistant Salome. You're now at the stage when I'm guessing the higher percentage of orchestras that you see now, uh, because you're guesting and you know you, you, you're you're probably on the verge of a music directorship somewhere. But most of the time, you're seeing new orchestras week after week after week. And actually, your name cropped up in my eyes because I'd seen that you'd been to the CBSO and uh, which is you know obviously my local orchestra, but also. Thanks to my Patreon page, one of my subscribers, Jen Winley, who's assistant conductor of Wazo in Perth, Australia, she'd worked with you over there. So I, I wonder whether, you know, you could go through any strategies you have with guest conducting. Um, and I wonder also whether being one of these, and I'm going to say it because I'm somebody who's crap at languages, um, whether you're one of these people because you speak eight languages fluently, you know, that helps you um, with guest conducting. But really, what strategies do you have? Yeah, it, I mean, the part of the languages is just <laughs> a yeah. detail and it, it, it helps. Yeah, it, it, it depends. It helps, but sometimes you go to an orchestra that is, for example, Luxembourg, where the so many international players that you have you have to end up rehearsing in English because yeah. otherwise people don't understand what you're saying. So it's just a very small detail about guest conducting. You know, <clears throat> especially now, after, uh, 
not after the pandemics, because this pandemic is not yet over, but after this period, uh, people have, there is a big discussion about traveling and so on. And I, I understand and I agree to some degree, mm. although I think that we are not the cause of the problem. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I don't think that, you know, <clears throat> if we stop traveling, the, 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 the problem will be over. I think that there is another, another place where the problem is. Well, I mean, interestingly, just butting in, it reminds me, it's just literally popped into my head of two episodes ago with Roy Goodman saying, it's incredibly difficult to be a prophet in your own country. You know, he said his, <laughs> his whole career was basically out of the UK and he's a British conductor. And, you know, for, it feels the same for most of us. It's very difficult for you, for, you know, so you end up having to travel to work because other people want to see you come yes. in from their country, you know, come into their country. That's right. That's mm. right. I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> but that said, I think it's a privilege that we have. We yeah. have you know, and it's a privilege that, you know, although we have to stay away from our family, our families, uh, uh, this is something that it's, you know, because conducting is about making connections, yes. connections with people. And what a fantastic way of connecting to so many different cultures and and. I, I think this is really a privilege. So I don't see, I understand when people complain about the traveling stuff yeah. and the loneliness and so on, but I also see, I see that as a privilege. And I think um, I, uh, this, is, this is something that, that ignites this yes. thing in me for guest conducting. Mm. Yeah, I, it doesn't surprise me. You know, I, I feel exactly the same way. Yeah. You know, yeah, give me a week somewhere I've never been and I'm going to encounter the culture. I'm going to encounter the people and it's going to make me, a, you know, a, a better human being. It's going to give me a more rounded view of the world, not just of the, exactly. the, the little corner I live in. And it's, you know, it's the point going to make me a better person, let alone a better musician. And not only that, because as I was saying, it's horrible to be away from the family, but I yes. will be a better father also. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I agree with you. Completely agree with you. Of course, I, it has to have a balance. You cannot no. stay 40 weeks you know, away and no. you're becoming a better father. Yeah. No, I mean, there's everything in life and it's yeah. to balance. But well, I see the privilege yeah uh, talking of balance and i did mention i was going to ask you you know you have had a, a, a an upbringing now with your two years in sao paulo at the teatro sao paulo in opera how do you see the future being for you how many opera productions a year would you like to do compared to symphonic work and let's take it to the next step i know if you were if somebody somebody could you know look in a crystal ball would you like to see yourself as a music director of an opera house or would you like to see yourself as a music director of a symphony orchestra? How do you see it panning out over the next five, 10 years? Ah, that's, that's, that's an awful question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really, it's really nice to be a guest conductor because you yeah. can go there for one week and try to, to connect to these people. And then when you start to realize the problems, <laughs> you, you're, it's time to leave. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree by with problems, that so much. Problems, yeah. I, don't, I don't mean the musical problems. No, 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 no absolutely. Yeah, I, no, I agree with you completely. Yeah, yeah. when, you, when you, you get a feeling of, you know, you're speaking to two, 
two people who are principals and you get the feeling that they really don't like each other at all. Yes. Like, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to deal with this personnel exactly. problem, this HR problem, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. on the other hand, I really think it's a great opportunity to build something. Yeah. Especially nowadays, because I think that a change was never needed as we need it now, you yes. know? And, and I, I am... I am not so optimistic in this area. I think that we really need a change, but a radical change. And I'm optimistic because I think the change will come with the girls. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, have a, I have a whole theory on that, but, <laughs> but I think I am very, very optimistic about the future of classical music in the hands of the girls. And, yeah, yeah. and I hope it happens. And I hope, uh, you know, because I we think men, it's, it's we already happening. And we screwed up. Yeah, yeah, I think it's already happening. You know, you can I feel think it. so yeah. too. We yeah. just have to accelerate it, you yeah. know? That's why we have to give them chances and, and, and all the stuff. Anyway, that said, to have the possibility to develop something, to build something. And this brings us to another topic, which is really important especially nowadays, which is the role of the conductor for the society and the community, yeah. you know, because as, as a guest, you have, you have very little impact on, on that. But as a, a, a director, as a music director, this is, in my opinion, your mainly job, you know, yes. how to make, to make these institutions relevant to the society. And this is a big challenge a very hard one that i don't know the answers i don't mm. know I, I have not had the opportunity to develop something like this and i don't even know if i i i, I can show i can bring a, a new light to this thing but but that's the the only way i think that in the opera house it's easier mm. than in the sim, in the sim, symphonic uh, world because we have we have the language first, so we have the text, yeah. and we have the visual appeal, mm. you know? and and this is very important nowadays. And that's another thing that we have to uh, we need a radical change in our concert format and protocol. You know, it doesn't appeal to the eyes as mm. as all the other things that we have available. Yes, and, and you know. Uh, in the past, in the past, by past, I mean uh, thirty years ago, forty years ago, before in, uh, home internet, you know, yes. play to play in tales was part of the of the visual impact, you know. Absolutely, yes, it was. The yeah. audience was expecting that. It's it's just like it was just like the 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 the. the uniform of a magician you know? yeah. well the audience wanted to be taken somewhere else 30 exactly. or 40 years ago the problem is now they can be taken somewhere else whilst looking at the screen of their phone of you know the, being taken somewhere else is dead easy now so mm. we have to do something different to make that happen i agree also yeah. being in an opera house you spend more time in the building and, and yeah. to be able to make something happen uh, yeah. to talk to the management, to talk to the people, whoever, if you're in Germany, who run the city or whatever, uh, as a, if you're a game day, and, and, and it's, it's easier. Whereas if you're a symphonic conductor, yeah, you might be there for a month, do two or three weeks and a tour, but that's it, you know. You're, yes, um, <laughs> that's, right. Yeah. that's right, that's right. So it's, I mean, it, what I would like to do, I have no idea, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> well, I that's fine. No <laughs> well, it seems to me, no you know, from the way you've spoken, that you're very happy to 
for your life to go in the direction it goes in rather exactly. than to plan ahead yeah exactly and yeah. and and always trying to 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 make a change and to do the best of it yeah and, and not forgetting about the social aspect which is very important for me the social and political aspect mm. and because this is also part in my opinion of the role of uh, a director There is one question, Eduardo, that every conductor, I think, in the podcast has had to answer before we get to the 10 questions, okay. which is score study. Oh, right. How do you study a new score? Have you got a plan? Do you start big and go in small? Do you start on page one and work the way to the end? And importantly for me and the other listeners, and especially the student conductors who listen, are you a scribbler in of things? Are you somebody who writes a lot of notes? Do you mark your scores with red, blue, black? Uh, what's your process? Well, it, it, it depends on how much time I have to learn the score. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Because you can, you, I, can, I can spend one year learning <laughs> uh, 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 an opera, or I can do it in two months, as yeah, I did exactly. either, you know? Yeah. Uh, what I, I, I like to think about um, this analogy, I see score studying a little bit as archaeology, mm. you know. I really like archaeology and I read all, all the Agatha Christie books when I was a child and mm. I loved it. And, and she was married to an archaeologist and, and that's why there's so much. And... And, you know, archaeology is not about digging and, you know, trying to find treasures. And so the archaeologists, they don't do that. There are mm. people that are specialized in doing that. But once they find a vase, for example, or yes. just a piece of a vase, then they bring this to the archaeologist. And then the creativity and the fantasy takes place because you're going to see um, how old is this artifact? Who built it? Mm. Why was it built? What, uh, uh, what was the necessity of, of this artifact? Um, and, and so on, and so on, and so yeah. on. I see scores studying exactly the same, you know? We have, we have artifacts and we have process to, to, to analyze this artifact. You know, and, and you do the carbon 14 to see the date of an object. We, we have, you know, the rules of harmony to yes. decipher the, harm, the, the, the harmony uh, the, of this passage. But then once you've un analyzed and tried to see, to use all the tools you have, now comes the fun part, which mm. is to make questions. You know, who used this artifact or why? why the cellos and the horn play this this phrase together why it's not the cellos and the bassoons you know? yes yeah 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 or yeah. why it's a pl plagal how do you call it in english a plego plego uh, well, yeah plego cadence, plego cadence yeah. in yeah. the end of of the first movement of brahms fourth why is 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 it a plego cadence and not a perfect cadence mm. Or, or why does he start the second movement, which should be in E major, but with this modal, because 
you know why why is that yeah i understand i with my tools i understand the harmony but why and this is the the nice thing yeah you know? that's and the interesting that, thing that's why i think it has to do a lot to do with archaeology so what i when i when i have time so coming back to your question how do i study hmm. if i in an ideal scenario i try the first the very first thing i try to see in which context the piece was written mm. of course i'm talking about pieces that was that were written a long time ago not yes, the, yes. not we can also talk about pieces that were composed last year but you know pieces from from a long time ago so i try to see the context what what was been done in the arts mm. what what if, if we're talking about vienna for example who were the painters yes who were the philosophers you know what 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 was been created in the in the same period who was there i mean if it's a brahms symphony what was tchaikovsky writing at the same time mm. what was what was verdi writing at the same time mm. this kind of stuff just to put it in context and then i'm i'm talking about an ideal scenario that we have a lot of time then i try to find literature on this piece you know mm. and i try to 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 read as much as i can about because you know a lot of much much more intelligent and brighter people than i am have already <laughs> yes yeah yeah, yeah, and, you know, yeah i need to know what they have to say about that yeah i'm know? the same yeah <laughs> and but this takes a lot of time it takes a lot of time but it's it's the best part of 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 the process and you know once i have all of these then i go to the score and depend i can i am not a pianist so i am not one of those that can play a mahler symphony in the piano i cannot yeah. if it's a brahms okay yeah. but you know if it's it's a verdi opera or a mozart opera i can play but if it's it's a, a mahler symphony i cannot play so i just go to the piano if there is something that i know i okay let's listen to this chords but i, I don't use that so much and then of course when you read so much and you've been in contact with so so much material about this piece once you get the score you already know a lot yes <laughs> you know? that's true you already know a lot and 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 once i get i go to the score i try to have very clear what is this music about and then i challenge myself to when i dive in the score either to to uh, approve the the thought that i had about the music or in opposition yeah. to find a new meaning for this music you yeah. know and for example if we take brahms 4 as i was saying it's 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 a very tragic symphony in my view so when i go to the score I try to find why I find out why what's in the music that makes it sound so tragic you know Brahms mm. decided that this was his last symphony he lived 12 more years it's not that he died after no. the symphony so you know it was a decision and it was a decision to finish in E minor not yes. to, not to go out of this tradition that started with Beethoven from from the dark to wow no he it's very you know you understand what i mean and then yes. i try to see all these aspects 
and yeah so answering your question in a, in a more <laughs> pragmatic <laughs> way i go from the big to the small no, yeah and once i am spending so much time and all of this stuff i i almost don't write okay yeah. of course if i write i write just i just use pencil and i what i do write is some texts that i or a passage a paragraph that i think is is uh, important to, yeah. to to know the piece for example i was <laughs> i i just did beethoven second symphony and then i uh, in in the in the the first page of the last movement i wrote a quote from berlioz saying this is a second sketch so, you know yeah, 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 yeah. so it's just just an aphorism for me to so this kind of 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 stuff or i write a a, a quote from a, a a letter that i i found or i or if some if i heard something in from someone in a rehearsal that i heard then mm. i write down and i put the initials to to know you yeah. know if it's david simon it's d z at this point eduardo and i carried on talking about the importance of watching other conductors in rehearsal and what we can learn from them we also had a short discussion about the tattoos he has on his arms which relate to other conductors and why they're so personal to him this fascinating 10-minute discussion is now available on my Patreon page as a bonus mini-episode. Subscribing to Patreon gives you access to these mini-episodes, as well as over 25 hours of interviews with prominent musicians, managers and agents about conductors and conducting. You also gain access to a set of diaries I've written about my trips guest conducting abroad, articles on score marking and programming, and I'm about to start a new series on string playing for non-string playing conductors. Did you know you can even have conducting lessons from myself? All of this is available at patreon.com forward slash a mic on the podium and from just £5 a month, which is less than a pint of beer in most cities, you can gain access to this ever-growing resource on conductors and conducting. Details and links to the page are in the show notes attached to this episode. Now, the all-important 10 questions with my guest, Eduardo Strausser. Eduardo, it is that time that no conductor can escape. It is the 10 questions at the end of the podcast episode. And I always start with, what sound or noise do you love? And what sound or noise do you hate? Oh. <laughs> That's a nice question. I, I have a tendency to love the sounds of nature. Mm. You know? And coming from Brazil, you know, we are in the jungle. Yeah. And something that I really loved and I really miss is the sound of a, a, a tropical storm yes yeah. have you heard that have you ever heard that it's really incredible because yeah. it rains like crazy for 20 minutes not more than that with thunder lightning you if you're driving you have to stop because you know suddenly everything gets turns white in front mm -hmm. of you and the sound is just fantastic so all these nature things, or the sea, the ocean, the sound of the ocean, Atlantic Ocean, the cold Atlantic Ocean, mm. it's really nice, yeah. But I also like the silence of, of nature too. <laughs> <laughs> when you're skiing, for example, that you just hear the, 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 the skis on the snow, this, this is also really nice. I really like it. And the sound you hate? Oh, what I hate, I really hate, I live in Berlin and I, 
I really hate, but I really hate, 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 hate. It's the sound of the ambulances in okay. the city. Ambulances and police cars. If you live in Berlin, if you're hearing this and you live in Berlin or you've been to Berlin, you know what I mean. Mm. It's, it's, it's insane. Well, I don't know why. It's really crazy. <laughs> it drives me crazy. <laughs> Going back to your tropical storm, I was nodding away like mad because uh, my family and I went on a family holiday to the coconut coast above Salvador um, and spent two weeks there having a wonderful Amazing. holiday. Um, one day we decided to walk from our hotel along the beach, which we knew would be about an hour to the next the, the town, the next village along, which was right. on. We'd been there already and we knew we could get a taxi back again. About 15 minutes into this walk, uh, a tropical storm came over. And, and we, it, well, we were probably a little bit longer than that. It was probably, we were halfway between the hotel and the, and the village. And we decided to press on. Never before have I ever been hurt by rain or soaked <laughs> through quite so much. And of course, we're trying to keep our, our kids who were quite young then, sort of trying to keep them dry and just saying, come on, keep moving, keep moving, we'll get there. <laughs> So I was nodding like mad, thinking, yes, I know exactly what one yeah. sounds like and feels like. Uh, so, yeah, I completely agree. It's a fantastic phenomenon. It's something, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. And it's something that happens, you know, in summer, it happens every day. Mm. Even in, in, in north of Brazil, in Manaus, for example, where there's a, a fantastic opera house in Manaus, it's in the middle of the jungle of the Amazon forest. They say, uh, you know, you meet someone and say, okay, uh, let's meet after the rain. <laughs> because everybody knows that you know it will yeah, rain at five it will rain. Yeah. if you had 24 hours free what would you spend it doing this is very easy for me now you know because i have a little baby at home so i would be i would be sleeping <laughs> <laughs> well the, the end of end of question end of answer yes. uh, we've all been there well i have yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah take use make the best use possible of your free time Number four, can you name your favorite conductor or conductors of yesteryear? Uh, this is a tricky question. Well, no, maybe not as tricky as number five, but go on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll see. You know, you know I, uh, it's very hard, you know, to, because you have to judge just based on, on recordings or things that you yeah. read or what people told you. You know, if I, uh, and then based on that, you know, I really, I really admire Günther Wand. Mm. I think he's, he's a guy who flew under the radar, which is something that I like yes. very much for a long time. And, you know, he, he learned a whole new repertoire when he was in his 60s, which is something really rare. Mm. And he, you know, he thought he came from a, a wealthy family, but still he went to, you know, the countryside of Germany to start working in, in an opera house. And, you know, he went all the steps up. And the recordings that we have nowadays, boy, yeah. he yeah. was good. He was, yeah. you know, he's old school, but, but with, with, with a twist somehow. Yeah. And I really, I really like everything that I heard from him. And of course, I, I, I like this, this musical path that he, I also like, I, I have to say, I, I like, I, I like Kurt Mazur very much. Also, mm. because as I was saying, I mean, his, the music is really nice. And I mean, there are some, some, some peculiarities, maybe some 
people may call it mannerisms or so on. But when I think about a conductor and his his role in, in the reunification of Germany and yes, all that, of course, you know, this is uh, as I mentioned before. I think that as a conductor in this, especially in this position, you have to do something. You have to position yourself and 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 think about the collectivity. And Kurt Mazur do, did that in that moment. And 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 his man Wilson. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but I also like Sinopoli. You know. Okay. Uh, another yeah. one that I I didn't I I didn't hear live, but everything that I heard, especially in the opera field, was always really nice, really nice, and always very clever. So if I had to choose, I would say this because I don't want to say the, the obvious ones. <laughs> well, Gunter Vant, I'm not sure, has appeared. If he has, maybe once before in 100 or so episodes. I know Sinopoli appeared quite recently because Hannah Chang um, uh, experienced Sinopoli uh, as a youngster when she was a cello soloist, and I know his name oh. has appeared. Um, but, yeah, really good choices. Now, I did mention number five, uh, which is who would be your favorite current conductor or conductors? And some people have found this question very difficult to answer. No, but for, for some have refused. Yeah. No, for me, it's very easy. Yeah. For me, it's not, not difficult at all. Uh, uh, the name that comes in my mind is Ivan Fischer. Yeah. I think Ivan is a brilliant guy. Mm. Brilliant guy. Even when I don't like his interpretation, I think it's always fascinating. And even, it, I mean, very interesting. I, 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 have a big respect and I have a big respect for, for his project in Budapest. Mm. And I had the chance to see him here many times in Berlin. He was chief here and very clever guy. And, and I, I, yeah, I think, I think he's, he's someone that I, I admire, yeah. but I, I also like very much Daniel Harding. Yeah. It's also someone from, yeah. He's, he's older than me, but I, 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 I identify with him. And I think, I mean, the, the, the work he has been doing in, in Stockholm for, what, 20 years now? Yes. Yeah. I think this, I have big respect, big respect. And yeah, every time I saw him live, it was a very nice experience with, with the Malatema Orchestra. It was always, wow, really nice. And so... Brilliant answers. Not so, not so hard for me. No, to... good. Well, that's good. But also really brilliant answers. And I'm sure uh, Daniel Harding, that's the first time his name's come up as an answer. Uh, episode 11 and 12. Uh, the only time I split up on a, a, an episode. And uh, yeah, good, great choices. Number six. What is the hardest work you've ever conducted? Yeah, I had, yeah, I had to think a bit about it. And I... I I think if I have to choose one, <laughs> it was, believe it or not, it was um, Handel's Messiah. Oh, well, yeah. I, uh, I, don't, but, I do believe it. <laughs> I will tell you why. Yes. And it was, it was, it was December 16th, um, 2020. Mm. And it was the last day before the big lockdown in Britain. Yes, you know? and it was so. It was the last. It was in the Albert Hall, and you know the, the, this the Messiah that they play every year. You yeah. know, yeah. 
and but because of COVID, we had just 29 singers. Uh -huh. And the orchestra, so of course, was spread. <laughs> as, was, as was the choir, I'm assuming yeah. they no, were. No, the it, choir was in another time zone, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> because can you imagine only 29s? I mean, they were fun, the, 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 the Philharmonia singers, you know? Yes. So they yeah. were fantastic, fantastic. Everyone, a soloist. Yeah. But they were very far away from me and very far away from each other. Yeah. You know, and the orchestra also very, uh, it was really hard to put yeah. them together, you know. So, so I think this was the biggest challenge I had in my, in my, in my life, conducting yeah. life so far. Well, let me first say that, you know, all of us who have conducted through COVID, all of us will have a similar experience with well, something or other. Yours is the first COVID-specific answer, but I'm not surprised because we all went through that period where musicians were apart, two metres apart, or depending on which country we're in, 1.5 with masks or, you know, or with plastic screens between each player. Everybody went through that, that period of having to learn. I actually said at the time, I thought it would be good for orchestra because they had to listen harder yeah. than before, you know, <laughs> um, and I think, I'm hoping that, you know, it'll be proved right. And there are times that we can all, you know, you can turn around and say to an orchestra now, do you remember what it was like in COVID when you listened? Well, could we listen like that again? And now we're sitting back where how we used to. But you're the first person to give a COVID specific answer. And I'm frankly surprised that you're the first person, but I'm not surprised at your answer. I think, you know, we've all, we were all there and we all know how bloody hard it, it was. It was yeah. really hard. I mean, I've conducted many operas and, and in opera, this is always a challenge, not yeah. because sometimes the singers are very far away and or doing some, some strange acrobatics and, and to have them together, it's hard. But somehow, you know, with, I, don't, I cannot explain, it was completely different with all this, I mean, the distance was absurd. You know the Albert yeah, Hall. Know. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And you know, a piece of the Royal Philharmonic plays every year, they know it by heart. Everybody knows it by heart. But still, to get it, I mean, it was really great. It, don't get me wrong. It was, yeah. it was spot on. It was but it was like magic because <laughs> it was really hard. It was really, really hard. When traveling abroad to conduct, what item could you not leave home without? This is maybe the, the hardest one, you know, because uh, I just have boring answers to this. Because <laughs> I, am, I am just one more in this situation. You know, the, the obvious answer is I always have a book. Yes. A good book. I one because I really love literature. Literature is something that I I have a, a big passion. As much as I love music, I love literature, and also because you know when we're traveling, we have to wait for a long time, mm. and you know that you know you have to wait in the in the cab going to the airport, and then you have to wait in the airport, and then you have to fly, and you know it's somehow yeah. waiting and waiting and waiting. And I mean, if I didn't have a book, I, because I'm not a, a, a geek, you know, for, with this uh, technology things. Yeah. And I like the technology and I'm really thankful to have all of this, but I don't, I, I mean, I, so I read, <laughs> in other well, words, I read. It's a very popular answer, but it's one I won't ban because 
you know, some people use their iPads to read books and whatever else. I like the feeling of a book in my hand. I like, you know, and and I think, and the other reason why I I won't ban it is because sometimes it can be your your companion at a dinner table when you guest conduct and you're on your own and you have to say to the maitre d' a table for one, please. You know, uh, and they look at you and go, oh, really? No friends? You know, and you know, because I've never been here before. But that book can be very important to get you through that hour and a half. And so I'll never ban it. And I and I, I agree with you as an answer. I think it's a great answer. But that's what my, my wife say. I mean, my wife complains that I mean, I I smoke, you know, and then well, you're uh, talking you're talking to one, as my listeners will know. Yeah, yeah. and then it's hard because I have to to quit smoking, but you know, it's it's such a lonely life, like this one that a book and a cigarette, they are our friends, you know. Yeah, I don't want yeah. to quit smoking and lose the friend. <laughs> 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 this because otherwise we're going to be doing advertising for cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> I think over a hundred episodes has been more than enough advertising. Somebody once said to me, uh, "I can I can hear when when you're smoking in the background." So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but there's a very nice movie called uh, "Cigarette Coffee and Cigarettes." Yeah, you know, and just with people talking and having a cigarette and a coffee. And yeah. I mean, and smoking is very bad. Don't smoke. But it's very good. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll probably leave all that in because I think I've. (laughs) But yeah, (laughs) I'm laughing because I agree with you. Uh, Number eight, anything you like, real or fantasy. If you want to want us all to wear Brazilian football kit when we play in orchestras, that's fine. Whatever you want. (laughs) Number eight, what is the one thing you would change about being a conductor? That's just a very hard question, you know, because I think. I think it's a very, as, you know, just to go back to, to the beginning when I said that I was very naive and I didn't know, where, you know, nowadays I think I do this because of all the things, all the elements that this profession brings, yes. the good ones and the bad ones. And there are many, many bad ones, you know, we have to say, because especially when you're just guest conducting, because uh, people think that it's oh, so nice to get to know and blah, blah, blah. yeah it's all very nice but there are many bad aspects you know there's yeah. a lot of pressure there is you know you, you, they expect you to be at, at your best all the time and you have to be at mm-hmm. your best all mm-hmm. the time and you have to please everybody all the time and you know <laughs> i'm not talking about the, the the obvious stuff you know you have to learn your score and know your score that's a given yeah. Then there are all the aspects that comes that come on top of that. That sometimes it's it's we just don't. I mean, that said, I wouldn't change anything in you know in this thing because we, the, we do it because it is the way it is. Absolutely it's, true. Yeah. It's really nice, and if we would change, it would. I mean, half of the magic would be lost. Yeah it would become a different occupation, a different job. So I wouldn't change anything, but (laughs) (laughs) that said, there are are structural things in in the business that should should be changed, you know? And and this goes for for, the protocol or the the concert format. Mm. We've talked a little bit about that before. So that we really need a, a rupture, a radical change in the system, and the girls are bringing that to yeah. the table. Yeah. 
What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Ah, that's easy. I would like to, I mean, to work either with literature or with mathematics. Mm. Because sometimes people think that, oh, this is so different, different fields. And so, but that's because people generally misunderstand what mathematics is. And, and mathematics is my passion together. I mean, there are three <laughs> things, music, literature, mathematics. They, they all have a, a, a similar amount of the same. They consume in the same amount of time for me. And I would, I would definitely do something in, in, in this field, either mathematics. Math, when I say mathematics, I would, I would even be more specific and say philosophy of mathematics. Mm. You know, this, this, this uh, concept, you know, to, to think if mathematics was invented or discovered, you know, mm. This is something that attracts me very much. And because we don't have an answer, it's something, it's a field that we can explore very much with a lot of fantasy. And I mean, I would do anything related to fantasy and creativity. That's what yeah. I like. And something that has connection with people. Yeah. That's the problem with literature and mathematics, you know, because from these three pillars that I, I'm interested of, maybe music's the only one that connects people. I mean, not that connects people, that as a job, forces you to to be in contact with other people you can yes. do and mathematics just alone at home maybe i ought to get you in contact with Gemma new who was somebody i interviewed for this podcast who is also obsessed with mathematics um i'm sure if i was there i wouldn't understand a word of what you were talking about because i know <laughs> nothing you know i can add, add up and subtract and multiply and divide and that's about it no but, but that's yeah, no, yeah. no but that's the re that's the yeah. real magic of mathematics you can spend a whole night even in drinking smoking and talking yeah. about mathematics and not mention a number you yes. know yeah. or, or not naming an equation a famous equation you not i mean we can talk about schrodinger or the cat of schrodinger but yes. without talking about numbers that's the magic of mathematics you know yeah. just it's it's pure fantasy if the world were to end tonight what would be your choice of final meal and drink this is a very good uh, question and i like the way you put it <laughs> with yeah. the world coming to an end because i i will give you a very proustian answer okay i i think i would like to have you know just um, any meal that my grandmother used to cook for jewish holiday mm. <laughs> you, know? Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know and and this and i i say that i like the the world coming to an end because yeah, most of the Jewish holidays are like this. They try oh, yeah. to destroy us. We survived. Let's eat. Yeah. <laughs> and what would you drink during that grandmother's meal? Just wine. Just yeah. a cheap kosher wine to, to go with the tradition. <laughs> well, and sparkling water. And sparkling water. Well, that's good. Uh, and, uh, and, and listeners will know I normally do some cheesy link between the, the, your meal and saying goodbye and so I will and the cheesy link is what a sparkling conversation it's been for the last yeah. hour and a half uh, I've really enjoyed meeting you and chatting with you and I hope in the future we can sit outside with a cigarette and a coffee and carry on chatting so thank you Eduardo thank you Mike that would be a pleasure to me a Mic on the Podium was devised and produced by Michael Seal, with music by Ben Dawson. 
Next time, I chat with a British conductor who I've known for most of his life. He was the youngest conductor to become the assistant conductor at the Halley Orchestra and has since gone on to have a very successful career guest conducting across the United Kingdom and Europe. But until then, bye-bye. <laughs>